The New Testament reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading is from the book of John, chapter 20. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Good morning. 
It's good to see you. I will just echo what everyone else has already said. It's good to have you here and to be with you this morning. I am also just grateful. I mean, I've been traveling, and so it's really nice to see everyone again. Several of you have been traveling, too. Some of you got back at midnight last night, and yet you're here in the room. Well done, all. Um, and we get to welcome all of these visitors and friends and family of people who call Resurrection home. And it is delightful to have you here with us as well. And we together as a community get to have this experience where we walk into the room and we see this art installation and we have all of these flowers. And I don't know if you can smell it, especially those in the back, but oh, when you come forward later on, you will be able to smell the gloriousness of this colorful burst of beauty that comes with all the flowers that are up here. And it's, it's so wonderful. And it's not just here in the sanctuary, it's all throughout the city, right? As the dogwoods and the cherry blossoms are exploding. And this year in particular, I have been very conscious of how my experience of spring is very similar to my experience and attitude towards the Gospel of John in particular. And so it's really fun when they get to merge together in a day that is like today. Because I don't know about you, some of you might like winter, but I'm not a fan of winter. And so starting in about February, I am very attentively looking and watching for every little sign that is pointing out that nature is actually alive and that we're going to survive the death of winter, which is, I know it's extreme, but that is how I experience winter. <laughs> and then you get to the point, like right now, right? This explosion of spring where everyone is stopping along the sides of the road and everyone's in Fairmount Park taking family pictures of their kids standing underneath these glorious trees that are everywhere. And when I read John, John does something similar. John seeds his gospel with all these little signs, seven of them in fact, that sprout and that if you are attentive and if you're watching and looking, you see this new leaf and then you see this new flower and it's pointing to the beauty of hope and life and joy that comes into full explosion of color in the passage that we are about to read and look at today. This, we've been, I mean, I know for all of you, you know this is a grand feast day of the church. It is Resurrection Easter Sunday. But I would like to offer an invitation that for these few moments that we have here together on this particular day, that we make use of and we lean into the slow realization of life and joy and mystery and weirdness, if we're honest, the resurrection's a little bit weird, and really lean heavily into the way that John crafts this magnificent, artful piece of scripture. 
We've been reading all through Holy Week, we've been reading the Passion narrative in John's voice. And if you were here for Good Friday, all of the words that we read were from John. And so we're going to continue looking at John. And I have a fondness for John's gospel because he's, um, he's weird. He goes off script. He's not like the other gospel writers, and that is to be delighted in. It also means we have to be quite careful about how we're reading John because he's not just repeating the same words and the same, same miracles. He is crafting this beautiful piece of art for you to look at. And so we're going to do that. We're really going to just try to step into this grand masterpiece that John has for us, recognizing that the dawning of the recognition of what God's kingdom is really all about comes with the dawning of the new day that happens here in John chapter 20. So one of the things we should ask of John is why are you crafting your gospel? Why are you doing things the way that you're doing them? And he actually tells us, and he tells us right after the verses that we're reading together. So this is at the end of chapter 20. And he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, John is choosing which signs that he's going to talk about quite purposefully. And he says, there's so many more, but these, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, that he is the redeemer of all of Israel, that he is the son of God, in other words, the rightful ruler over the kingdom of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's a fairly grand purpose, John, to set out. But it's not just that that he's after. He's not just pointing to the life that you get to have. There's something else. He's layering in complexity and beauty and gloriousness from the very beginning. So John starts his gospel with some fairly magnificent words. And you may be familiar with the beginning of the gospel of John. For he says, in the beginning, and it's three words in English, not the same in Greek or in Hebrew, but he's quoting from Genesis chapter one that starts in the exact same way. And so when you open John and you hear in the beginning, you go, oh yeah, right, I remember. In the beginning when God was creating heavens and earth and everything was a chaotic, unformed chaos and God speaks forth words and brings order into that chaos and creates beauty. I remember that story. And in John, we go, in the beginning was the word. We're totally telling a new creation story, right? Not only in the beginning, but the word through whom everything was created. And that's like, before we even dig into what logos, the word, word in Greek, meant in Greek philosophy, like, it's beautiful, but that's like a sermon series. We'll shelve that. We'll come back to it because we're really trying to get to the end of John. But it's amazing. 
And it goes on, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And so there's that life again that John is after for everyone who's reading his gospel. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And John is going to spend a lot of time in his gospel showing how this light infuses the human world and who sees the light and bathes in the light and therefore understands and who stands in darkness and misses the understanding, the confusion of who this light is in the world. So we end up even just like this is the thesis statement for this particular gospel. And it's incredibly beautiful in that we remember this original creation story. And we remember the type of relationship God and the humans had in the garden. We also remember the wrong decisions that the humans made to follow their own design instead of God's design, which fractures and breaks creation. And then God promises that he'll fix it. And John says in the beginning, right here, here we go. This is that new creation story. And we read. So this is actually the fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes. This is the reality of what happens when creation is redeemed and restored. And this is what it looks like when Israel's God shows up in human flesh and does what only he can actually do. We are going to be spending the next seven weeks talking through the signs that are in John. But today, today we're here for the end. And because it's me and I can never jump directly into the passage, I have to like rewind just a little bit. Because John, and especially given the context of John and what John's thesis statement is doing, as John is working up to the crescendo, the bursting forth of all of this life, He's going to use two gardens. And it's really important that we stop and we pay attention to both of these gardens. So we have to rewind. This would be what we were remembering on Thursday of this week. The first garden happens right after uh, Jesus shares the Last Supper with his disciples. Now, the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, say Jesus leaves the city and he goes to Gethsemane, which is the area that's at the southern part of the Mount of Olives. Luke just flat out says he goes to the Mount of Olives. But John, John loves his unique flair, and he has a different kind of story that he is crafting. And so John gives us some geographical information that's helpful. So the city of Jerusalem, right, is a city that sat draped over these hills. On the western side was the Hinnom Valley, and on the eastern side is the Kidron Valley. And so in these texts, anytime if someone leaves and goes through the Hinnom Valley, or if you leave and go through the Kidron Valley, you have left the city itself. You've left the walls. And so John is making use of that data. Now, on the eastern side, you have the Kidron Valley. And as soon as you descend into the Kidron Valley, you then ascend up onto the Mount of Olives. And Bethany and Bethphage are up there on that crest line of the Mount of Olives. And then you descend quite rapidly and dramatically into the Judean wilderness and ultimately down into the Rift Valley. 
So John, thinking that you know this geography, and now you do, John says something, he goes off script from the others, and he says, after this Last Supper, Jesus and the disciples pass through the Kidron Valley. And so we all go, oh, Kidron Valley, they're heading out of the city where they celebrated the Last Supper. Kidron Valley, we all know he's going up the Mount of Olives. But John does not use the geographical terms. Instead, he flags this event and says, and Jesus goes into a garden. Now we are thinking, okay, we understand what John's thesis statement is right, for this book, and new creation is at stake, and the events of a garden are very important. And so in John's gospel, when Jesus goes into a garden, and we're thinking, oh, the first garden, the humans who were the tenders of this garden made bad choices, and everything got broken apart. But John says, Jesus, knowing all that was coming to him, meaning understanding all that was just about to happen, steps in and goes forward, steps towards it. Now, the drama of this particular piece is both geographical and literary. Geographical because if you're in the garden, if you're at the base of the Mount of Olives, it is a very short walk to get to Bethany and then to the Judean wilderness. It's about a mile, a little bit shorter to get to Bethany, about a mile to get into the wilderness. Now, granted, it's a very steep walk, like you're walking forward on your toes, and it's, you know, but in 15 minutes, you can leave and choose a different option. And there is something about this moment that makes my stomach clench every time I get to it, because Jesus, knowing what was coming, also knowing in 15 minutes, I can choose something else that'll be way more pleasant than what is coming towards me. He steps forward into what God's plan is. And so John tells us, right, if we're remembering in the first garden, humans chose their will over God's will, and it broke creation. Now we have Jesus in a garden choosing God's will over his own. Our second garden at the end of John John, again, is the only one of the gospel writers who says, in the place of the crucifixion of Jesus, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb. And Jesus was buried in this tomb that is in this garden. And this is going to be the setting of the story that we are getting ready to tell. But we can't lose track of everything that John has already been telling us. Okay, so now we get to chapter 20. And we don't read this in isolation because we just like this part of the story. We read it for the explosion of color that John wants us to see when we get to this part of the story. So John 20 in verse 1, early on the first day of the week, and already this is like when the corner of your mouth should like lift up a little bit when you're like, oh, I know what's coming. Because John is telling a new creation story. And Jesus was killed, he died on the sixth day, was hastily buried so that on the seventh day, everyone rests and it's quiet. 
But then you get the first day of the new week, and John is going, this is when new creation happens. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, is also interesting. John is the only one who says that. The other gospel writers say it's at dawn or it's the early hours of the morning, but John says it is still dark, which is not an accident because John uses light and dark throughout his whole gospel to talk about who sees and understands the light who has come into the world. And so it's a little bit of a clue that we've arrived on the first day of the week, but it's still dark. So there's not full understanding that is here just yet. And Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and saw that the tomb had been removed, or the stone had been removed from the tomb. And so she runs to tell the disciples. Now for us, it's really hard because we understand the implications of what is happening. And so we want to rejoice. But I would say, just take a moment of compassion for the people experiencing this because she would not have assumed resurrection happened. Resurrection wasn't on the table of possibilities yet. So she's probably more logically thinking that there's been a tomb raider who has come in through and taken the body of Jesus. And there's been a lot of political events that have been going on, especially the week prior to. And Jesus is killed. If you read this conversation with Pilate, Jesus is killed for political reasons. And so there's an implication she would have assumed something has happened. There's like someone has come and raided the tomb. And so she runs to tell Peter and John. And so Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which is John's shorthand, not really short, but it's what John calls himself. We assume John wrote this gospel. We assume that this one whom Jesus loved is the youngest of the disciples and is the author of this particular story. And so they run to the tomb, and I love this little detail. In verse 3, it says, Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went forward to, or went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Don't you love it? Like John's little cheekiness. Just want to make sure everyone, in, everyone from here on out will always know that I won. <laughs> the foot race, it was me. But it's Peter who is the one who goes into the tomb. And then we get this other little bit of detail. He sees the linen wrappings lying there. Or this is John saw the linen wrappings going there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in one place by itself. So we get this other piece of information. So in other words, this is not a tomb raider because if you're raiding a tomb, you don't take any time to unwrap the body, much less fold the clothes and keep it nice and orderly, much less do anything that would minimize you getting all of those herbs, spices, and ointments that the body was wrapped with. That is the true value that is in the tomb. And so all of that is kind of gone. So we see that it's not a tomb raider, but we still don't fully understand what is going on. And Peter and John leave and return back to where they were staying, 
even though they don't fully understand the what exactly has happened and why exactly it has happened. And then we get the full explosion of color into this part in this new creation garden scene that John is painting for all of us. Mary remains and she is weeping and she still doesn't understand what is going on. And as she looks into the tomb, she sees angels. We don't know how they appeared to her, but there's still not a full recognition of what is happening. In verse 13, these angels, they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. And then she turns around and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize Jesus. And we could go into all, like, why is that? Her eyes are filled with tears. Maybe she can't see. Maybe because it's still early morning. There's still not a whole lot of light. Maybe he's standing far away. There's lots of maybes. But I don't think we should stick here on that part because the exclamation comes right after this. She doesn't recognize him. And Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him. And this is where we, the readers who have been tracking with John, break out into full grin, right? Because she supposes he's the human gardener of the garden in which she is standing. We, the readers, knowing John is showing us there is a new garden scene that is this new creation scene. We yell from the sidelines, he is the gardener. Like, I know you think he is the gardener, but he actually is the gardener. He is the new gardener of the new garden in this new creation that you're looking at. It's like the big, bold, highlighted, like draw arrows, point to it. He is the gardener of this new creation. And she doesn't recognize him until he reveals himself with one singular word, and it is her name. How intimate of a moment is that? To see, to recognize, to identify, and to call out by person, Mary. It's this really beautiful and intimate moment when she recognizes that he is her rabbi. And when she holds on to him and he says, no, 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 don't. I have another task for you. This moment that is so intimate in its details, so beautiful in the, the human side of this love between rabbi and disciple, is also alighting the senses, sight, hearing, seeing, which is sight, right? <laughs> but it's this, all of these senses are alive in this moment. And then Jesus is going to tell Mary, I have a task for you or a gift. I want you to go tell everyone else. And Mary's witness, twice this day, the first time that the tomb is empty, something is amiss. The second, when light is clearer, we're a little bit later in the morning, and she fully recognizes the light that has come into the world. 
It is her testimony then to the rest of the followers of Jesus that is recognition of what it is that God's kingdom is going to be all about. And so, John, we like him on this morning. It's such a beautiful gospel, a gospel that is full of this epic story of new creation, using seven signs that point to who Jesus is, making use of two different gardens, new choices that are made in the garden that makes life come out of the garden. It is uh, the climax of the Father's plan, and Mary gets to be in charge of sharing that to everyone else. And why, right? Why? Let's go back. Let me read again why John says this at the end of this chapter in chapter 20. It is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Redeemer, that he is the Son of God or the King, the king fully in charge of God's kingdom, right? And so who is this Redeemer, full King of God's kingdom, this epic story that has just been laid forth. Why has it been laid forth? It's so that you can have life. So that you have life in his name. And there's something incredible about this new creation that John has just told us about. Because in the first creation, especially in Genesis 2, in which there is a garden, and the garden, there's this shape of a temple. It has the temple footprint where God and humanity walked together in the cool of the day, where that relationship was fully harmonious and beautiful, where they had everything that they needed that God could supply that to them. John is letting us know that that new temple is Jesus. And now in this new creation, in this place of a new creation with a new gardener at the helm, this broken relationship between humans and God is fully restored. And so now through Jesus, we have that experience of the first garden, of the fact that you can come into the presence of God. And every week, including this week, we stand together and we come forward to this table where we remember it's because of these events because of Jesus' body broken and his blood shed, and because of his resurrection, and because he is the new gardener, we get to have this restored relationship with God. And I would just encourage you in a few minutes, when we really do stand up and come forward, that you think of being called forward by your name, you as an individual, coming forward and responding and responding to the invitation of the gardener, where all your senses are lit up, where it's tasting, but it's also smelling, where it's touching, where it's hearing, not only the music that is played, but your voice that is being called out. And we remember that we're doing it not just as an individual, importantly as an individual, because you matter and are known as an individual but that we, the church, are coming forward, that we, our congregation, and all of our diversity in the room, and we, with all of the churches around the world in all the time zones, as Elizabeth prayed earlier, 
we are all coming forward, recognizing that we don't do this without Jesus. But it is in Jesus and in the life that is given in the resurrection that death is conquered, that chaos, the chaos that is in our life that we don't quite understand, it is Jesus who can speak into that and bring order and can bring restoration to all that is broken. And in that hope, we go forward and stare at the cherry blossoms and the dogwood trees that are bursting forth in all of Philadelphia. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on this Resurrection Sunday, we remember Jesus as fully human and fully divine, but fully human in dealing with the hard decisions of standing in a garden and purposefully choosing God's will over his own. And what kind of example that is to all of us who want to live in this restored creation, who want to be a part of the garden with a kind-hearted gardener who looks at people, calls them forward by name, and embraces who they are. And so may we remember the beauty, the glory of this restored creation, even as we are mystified by things that are still broken that are around us, but may we swim in the hope and in the joy that the resurrection is true and in the resurrection we are invited to have life. And in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the new gardener in the garden, we pray all these things. Amen.